Oh, my God. 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with Mordechai Shapiro and Lecha Hashem. Uh, before that, Michal Przanski's Mitzvah Haba, that's brand new. Uh, you heard Menagin, that's brand new from the New York Boys Choir, their title track. Yitzi Bold introduced that to us here in the studio. Ruvi New, that's brand new this week with six days off of the album entitled Storm the World. Micha Gammerman's. Marabu, a brand new single. Rachem, done by RJ2. Phenomenal song from a group we introduced to you just a few days ago. And Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's JMM for a Friday on this November the 17th, the 28th of Marachesh. Fun Erev Shabbos Parshas Toldos. Erev Shabbos Mavarchim. We will bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh Kislev is tomorrow night. Rosh Chodesh Kislev is Sunday. A one day Rosh Chodesh. And um, again, we'll bench Rosh Chodesh uh, tomorrow. Rosh Chodesh begins Saturday night. Candle lighting at 4.16 on this era of Shabbos. 4.16 candle lighting time in the New York area. It'll be different where you are. In Yerushalayim, I am told, candle lighting is at 4 p.m. So those of you who want to speak to people in Jerusalem before Shabbos, if you're in the Eastern time zone, you have two and a half hours to go. Simple as that. Sunday, we told you, is Rosh Chodesh. Sunday is also the big Shluchim Conference Banquet, welcoming our friends from Chabad from around the world who are uh, either coming in or have already come in for the big conference. And um, I'm told that's happening in New Jersey this year. 
the big banquet on Sunday night. So enjoy. It is always uh, an amazing event, to say the least. Sunday night will be at the One Israel Fund Dinner. I'll be emceeing the One Israel Fund Dinner at Terrace on the Park in Queens. I hope uh, many of you out there have already made your reservations for that night. Don't forget, Thursday is Thanksgiving. Yeah, Thursday is Thanksgiving. We'll be here. JM and will be on. Uh, but for a lot of people, a very short week and some opportunity to spend time with family, which is, of course, always welcome. 43 degrees outside with 56% humidity. Winds in northwest at 13 miles per hour. Partly cloudy with a high temperature of 50. Then tonight, mostly clear, low of 39. Uh, tomorrow, afternoon showers and a high temperature of 56 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 75. We are at uh, 43 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. A lot of simchas this weekend uh, here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. A very special mazel tov to the Hagler family. They have a big bar mitzvah coming up. A mazel tov to the Jungreis family. Big bar mitzvah coming up. A mazel tov to the Friedman family. Big Ufruf coming up this Shabbos. A lot of great smachot that we're surrounded by here in the Lower East Side neighborhood of New York City, which is a great feeling. And mazel tov to everybody as the neighborhood gets ready to celebrate um, over this uh, Shabbos Parshas told us tomorrow night hope to see everybody in uh, new jersey teaneck new jersey for the yachad new jersey dinner malava malka uh the uh, among the honorees of course uh, ari and dina katz We're looking forward to spending time with them there tomorrow night and paying tribute to them they are amazing and mazal tov to all the honorees it's gonna be a very very special night tomorrow night in teaneck new jersey Big shout-out to our friends at OnlySimchas.com. OnlySimchas.com. Check them out every day, not only for the news about Smachot, but all the amazing stories that they post from around the Jewish world. OnlySimchas.com. Our friends at Bedford-on-Park are open tomorrow night. I spoke to uh, the leaders of Bedford-on-Park yesterday. They are open tomorrow night. They are open Thanksgiving. So get those reservations in. And, of course, those of you out there who have not yet planned your year-end party for your staff, for your uh, colleagues, for your clients. Uh, they can accommodate up to 150 people in their beautiful dining room. They have a great private party area, um, which is perfect for, you know, family Hanukkah celebrations, etc. And the location's amazing, the northwest corner of 34th Street and uh, Park Avenue in New York City. So plan those parties now and to get those reservations in, go to bedfordkitchen.com for information, bedfordkitchen.com, Bedford on Park, 61 East 34th Street in New York City. Also, circle your calendar for December 3rd. December 3rd is actually a really good, busy day. Uh, during the day, Achiezer has their healthcare conference going on at City Field, the big expo and conference. We'll be broadcasting from there. And then December 3rd, Sunday at night, Safam in concert for the Atid Society at the Kushner Schools in Livingston, New Jersey. So uh, everybody get ready to spend some time at uh, City Field on Sunday, December 3rd. And then, of course, everyone's invited to participate in the big Safam concert uh, when they hit the Kushner Arena on, um, on Sunday night, December the 3rd. We are very much looking forward to that. So mark your calendars, like I said, and... Uh, Make sure you are part of it. Uh, an hour from now, a little bit more than an hour from now, it'll be the weekly update. Malcolm Honline will join us. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us coming up for the weekly update at 7.40 Eastern time this morning. 
And I remind you, if you are using the old JM and the AM app, it is obsolete, or it is soon going to be obsolete for your phone. Uh, switch over. Make sure you have installed and that you're listening to the Nahum Siegel Network app. Just simply in your store, search Nahum Siegel Network, and usually it is the only thing or first thing, certainly, that comes up um, when you punch in the name Nahum Siegel. All right, so search for it, install it. It takes about a minute, and you're all set uh, to listen to us every single day, and we appreciate you doing so. Lots going on today. Don't forget the supersized table for two is on at 9 o'clock with Naomi Nachman from Kosher Fest, a show she did earlier this week. It, it actually ends with the big A&H, Abel's and Hyman uh, Best Dressed Kosher Hot Dog Contest, which I had the pleasure of hosting. That'll be on at about 10.15 Eastern time. And then, of course, we get into our Kedem Erev Shabbos uh, programming. Uh, Kedem presents the Erev Shabbos show with Mark Zamek right after that. And, of course, the Erev Shabbos music mix all the way until candlelighting time. A big thank you to our friends at Kedem. So, yeah, we are action-packed, completely full. Thank God there is so much going on. How you could ever turn off this network, I have no idea. Big shout-out going out to Mr. Paul Holm. Walking on the streets of Manhattan after the Manhattan Day School basketball game last night, and I saw Paul. It was great to reunite, and he is such a uh, wonderful uh, listener and supporter for so many years. So we dedicate the early portion of our Jam AM Friday to him. Paul Holm, Upper West Side, great seeing you last night. Wishing you a Shabbat Shalom from all of us here at JM and the AM. Plenty more coming up. Keep it here at the Nahum Siegel Network.
ואת הכלה, את החטא ואת הכלה. Yeah. 
Silverstein with Vahair Inenu off of Shire Pinchas, volume number two here at JM in the AM. Before that, Levi Cohen had Adaraba. You heard me, Adir, done by Sandy. Avremo with Achim Benefesh. Lemelech was Ohad. Yidel had Shakul. And Zevi Weinstock and Ari Tucker together with Shir Shel Shevach. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners' sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at nachomsegel.com. 
on the Nahum Siegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. 7 o'clock in the morning, news from Israel coming up. Rabbi David Heber is going to join us. I'm finally going to get my analysis of the 5778 calendar year. Rabbi Heber has said to me in advance, there ain't much to this year in terms of the trivia we normally discuss. We'll see. We'll see if, how he deals with the uh, items that I bring up coming up. Malcolm Honeline, weekly update, 740 Eastern Time, 40 minutes from now here at JM and the AM. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday. Erev Shabbos is next. We say Boker Tov from JM and גליצאל השעה שתיים, כאן אביגיל אושי ביטנר עם מה שקורה עכשיו. פתרון לסוגיית עבודות הרכבת בשבת, ראש הממשלה נתניהו ושר העבודה חיים כץ סיכמו עם שר הבריאות ליצמן שאיים בהתפטרות כי עבודות הרכבת בשבת יבוצעו על ידי עובדים שאינם יהודים. כתבנו מיכאל האוזר טוב. בסביבתו של השר ליצמן נוטים לקבל את הסיכום, לפיו העבודות כן תתקיימנה כמתוכנן, אבל לא יועסקו עובדים שיום המנוחה שלהם הוא שבת. בנוסף הוחלט בהתייעצות בין השר כץ לראש הממשלה נתניהו, מעתה האישורים הניתנים לעבודות השבת יתחילו להיבדק באופן הדוק יותר. עד כאן. סוכל פיגוע דקירה במערת המכפלה בחברון. לפני זמן קצר נעצר פלסטיני חמוש בסכין על ידי כוחות משמר הגבול. כתבתנו בשטחים, כרמל דנגור. סכין מטבח גדולה נמצאה על ידי לוחמי משמר הגבול בבגדיו של פלסטיני שהגיע למערת המכפלה. החשוד, תושב חברון בשנות ה-20 לחייו, נעצר והועבר לחקירת כוחות הביטחון. מתחקור ראשוני בשטח עולה כי התכוון לבצע פיגוע דקירה במערה על רקע סכסוך משפחתי. מוקדם יותר היום נפצעו שני בני אדם באורח קשה וקל בפיגוע בגוש עציון. תושב מזרח ירושלים נעצר בדרום תל אביב בחשד שביצע מעשה מגונה בפני אישה, מעדכנת כתבתנו פיי גוטמן. החשוד בן 21 נעצר על ידי יחידת השיטור העירוני בתל אביב לאחר שהתקבלה עליו תלונה במוקד. על פי הדיווח, החשוד נגע באיבר מינו בפני אישה בדרום תל אביב, היא ניסתה לברוח מפניו אך הוא עקב אחריה עד שהצליחה להתקשר למשטרה. צוות השיטור העירוני אשר הגיע למקום החל בסריקות ועצר את החשוד אשר הועבר לחקירת המשטרה. במדבר יהודה חולץ מטייל שנתקע על צוק בנחל המדברי קדם, כתב ונורא משני. מטייל שהצליח לטפס אל ראש צוק בנחל קדם במדבר יהודה, הזיק אליו יחידות חילוץ משטרתיות הפועלות באזור זה, שכן הירידה מהצוק סיכנה את חייו. מתנדבים מיחידות חילוץ מגילות ועין גדי הגיעו אליו ובאמצעות מערכת טיפוס וגלישת חבלים סייעו לו לרדת מהצוק. אתמול נהרג מטייל במצפה רמון, שנפל בעת שהחל לבצע גלישה אל מתחת לצוק מגובה של כ-60 מטרים. נעצר תושב הוד השרון, בן 49, בחשד שניקב צמיגים של כ-20 כלי רכב בעיר. זאת לאחר שהבוקר התקבל הדיווח במשטרה על המכוניות, שצמיגיהן נוקבו ברחובות החרמון, נגב וקיבוץ גלויות שבהוד השרון. תחזית מזג האוויר היום ובשבת חם מהרגיל בעונה. בתחילת השבוע תחול ירידה בטמפרטורות, וייתכן גשם קל. אלה החדשות בצוות גל ביטון ויאיר בסט.
JM in the AM with Yakov Shweki. Erev Shabbos on this Parshas Toldos with candle lighting at 416 in New York. Well, Bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow, Rosh Chodesh Kislev will be tomorrow night and Sunday, a one-day Rosh Chodesh Kislev. Welcome to all the shluchim from around the world who are converging on the New York area. The big shluchim conference banquet for Chabad is this coming Sunday in New Jersey. Welcome to all, and please tell everybody around the world, no matter where you're stationed, no matter where you go, after the conference, uh, to tune in to us on a regular basis here at the Nahum Siegel Network. We greatly appreciate it. JM and the AM on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Toldos, and Rabbi David Heber is with us live via telephone. We had, we had well, some years we never even get to it. I'm glad, finally, that it's almost Rosh Chodesh Kislev when we remembered we must analyze the year 5778 with our calendaric expert and consultant. Rabbi David Heber is a kosher's administrator at the Stark A. He is the Rabbi of Kahal Avas Yisrael Tzemach Tzedek down in Baltimore, Maryland. Rabbi David Heber, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good you and to all your listeners. You know, it's funny. We always quote the Hasidic, um, um, the Hasidic um, um, directive that one may say Gemar Tov until Hanukkah, but in our case, with me and you, we really should say Gemar Tov, because, <laughs> or, or at least a, uh, you know, because for us, this is the beginning of the year, because we finally have gotten an opportunity to analyze the brand new year of Tufshin Ayin Ches. Um, well, first of all, Rabbi Heber, I guess we'll start with this week, because uh, tomorrow is uh, Shabbos Mavarchim, well, Ben Chodesh, which will start tomorrow night. And uh, that means that we read Machar Chodesh as a Haftorah instead of the regular Haftorah of Parshas Toldos. What could you tell us about uh, Shabbos Mavarchim that includes Machar Chodesh? Okay, so of course, that's, that's well known. The Machar Chodesh is tomorrow, as you've said. We're actually in a dry, we're completing and finishing a dry spell <laughs> of Machar Chodesh. It's yeah. been uh, 19 months. Wow. You've got to go all the way back to, to year of a year and a half ago, Erevish Chodesh year of a year and a half ago, when, uh, well, that year's Pesach was a Shabbos, so Rishchidosh year was Sunday, Monday. Right. And it's a year and a half, over a year and a half since that's happened. And that's the longest dry spell, because when you think about it, it should happen um, every every six months or so, technically, because Rishchidosh, you know, goes through the week. It's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, etc. I'm trying to think what we missed. Oh, what we missed. Okay, so we got to go through, we got to go through that. Let's see. Um, Russia, well, Elul, back, you go back a year and a half ago. So Elul was a Elul Sunday. Elul was, was Shabbos Sunday. Anyway, okay. you don't do Machar Chaydash right. Elul. Correct. So that, that was knocked out. Right. Then you had uh, the next opportunity would have been um, Rosh Chaydash Shvat was a Shabbos, and then Rosh Chaydash Adar was Sunday, Monday, but you had Shkolem. Ah, so that that got knocked out. Ah, um, ah, and then, ah. let's see, the next opportunity... <laughs> Would have been um, Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, which was Shabbos Sunday. So again, you had the Shabbos Rosh Chodesh, so you got Rosh Chodesh in there, right? And yeah, now, now we're I here. get it. Yeah, once you said the Arba uh, Parshios the Shkolem, then then I then I understood already. Um, now, speaking of Haftorahs, and I'm not trying to throw you off track here. If there's more to say about Machar Chodesh, let us know. But uh, we are about to embark on a holiday that has a major impact on a Haftorah. 
am I correct that it is extremely rare because of Hanukkah that we ever read the Haftorah of Parshas Miketz? Yes, that is true. How often do you think it happens? And I, I know I'm putting, a, I'm putting you on the spot, but... It's about, I think it comes out about one in ten years or so. Is it that often? Uh, I would think it's even less than that. Wow. Yeah, it hasn't happened in a while. Here's what has to happen. And what you would need, I assume, is Hanukkah to start on a Thursday night, would it be? And then, uh, yes, and then right. Mikates would correct. be, and then Mikates would be Matzah Hanukkah, frankly. Correct. Exactly in other words, right. you'd light Friday. In other words, on Thursday night, you'd light eight candles. Exactly right. So that's really like it's quote unquote Isru Chag right. Hanukkah, uh, which happens, and that's the only time. So, so you need what happens. It's a year where Rosh Hashanah has to be on a Shabbos, right. and both Cheshvan and Kislev are twenty nine days, and so what happens is. Um, you have that. You have Hanukkah ending again, uh, Matzai, as, as you said, right. and that's the I, I get once at least once or twice a year. Miketz, someone comes over with the chumash. Why? Why is this haftarah of Miketz here? You know. You know what that haftarah is? It's one of the most famous stories in Tanakh. Actually, it's the it's the story of Shlomo Hamelach, where they came with the child. You know, the two mothers yeah, arguing. Yeah, that's the that haftarah. That is that have terror, yeah. and, and and the people in your shul are obviously saying to you that we never say it anyway, but that that's not true. It, it's rare, but we do say it. Right. So it's coming up. We last time we said it was in the year, uh, I believe, in the year two thousand. At the end of the year two thousand. Oh, so that, it's um, it's already seventeen. Was a, years. Was a while ago. That's already uh, eighty years ago. Right. And then the next time we're going to say it is twenty twenty. Wow. I believe also at that. So you have a twenty year gap. Between uh, between one and the other, very that's a long time. That's, like, that's that's longer than the average. Yeah, but, a, ki- uh, a kid who has real Mikates, boy, he, yeah. he he ain't reading that after yeah. for quite a while <laughs> yeah. after that. Rabbi David Heber is with us live via telephone, doing a little calendaric trivia as we like to do toward the beginning of a brand new Jewish year. Now I'm sitting here with a pretty prominent Jewish calendar, and tell me if I'm right or wrong. This is also Rosh Chodesh related. I'm sitting here with a prominent Jewish calendar. And on the 29th of Tishrei, on the 29th of Tishrei, right, right before the two-day Rosh Chodesh Mar Cheshvan, it says Yom Kippur Katan. Is that a mistake? Am I right? There's no such thing as Yom Kippur Katan in the month of Tishrei? Correct. Yeah, that is a mistake. So it's a mistake. So right. and if that's correct, then, then my calculation that the most Yom Kippur Katan observances you can have in a year is eight is likely correct because you cannot have it in Nisan going into ER, correct? Correct. You cannot have it, as we just said, Tishrei going into Cheshvan. You can't have it on Hanukkah, correct? That's correct. Well, that's three, and there's a fourth that I always think right, about. And an L, right, coming to Rosh Hashanah. Oh, right, an L to Rosh Hashanah, you wouldn't do it, right? Right, so it's four, but in, in a leap year, you'll have the, the nine. 13 months, so 13 minus right. four. Right, it would be it's nine. Be nine. So so it's the most you're going to have is nine. So it's funny, Yom Kippur yeah. Katan, which everyone thinks is is monthly, you really lose a third of it. It's funny. I don't know. I don't know why that strikes me, but... Uh, correct. What, what is interesting, though, is that the ones that you miss out, you really say slichus right around there for another reason. Mm. If, you, if you analyze those four cases, you have, of course, Erev Rosh Hashanah right. is not Yom Kippur Cotton, but you say slichus. Right. And then you have, um, if you do, if you say Bahab, so right. by you know, the Eir and Cheshvan, right. instead of Yom Kippur Cotton, you have Bahab, which comes up right away. Oh, and then Chanukah, you have a Sarbatavis. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, you know what you've just proven, Rabbi Heber, that the rabbis, as usual, never let us celebrate. If, we, if we're if we're missing slichas, they're going to make sure to get it back in there as as, as soon as they can. 
<laughs> oh, there you have. Very good. I like that. Very, very good. Now, you pointed out to me that this year, we know Hanukkah is coming up uh, very, very soon. Uh, if it's Rosh Chodesh uh, tomorrow night, then Hanukkah is just three and a half weeks away. You said if, if a young man was born in 2004, there may be a problem with his bar mitzvah day this year. Right. A very, very interesting Shiloh. A really fascinating Shiloh. And that is, a, I guess, a, a brief introduction. As, yeah. as is well known, the months of Cheshvan and Kislev are, are, could be 29 or 30 days. You can right. have different combinations. It could, they could both be 29, they could both be 30, or you could have, like this year, 29 days in Cheshvan and 30 days in Kislev. And these are the only two months that that applies, right? Every other Correct. month, every other month is it. set. Right? And it's interesting, and if, if you give me a chance to give a little drush at the end, sure. not too long, don't <laughs> worry, not, not too long, I'll tell you an interesting insight into, into, into those two months, okay. into these two months that okay. we're coming up on. But anyway, so what happens is, it's sort of like the February 29th issue, that we have, and it works in two ways. In other words, if we compare Lahabdul February 29th, where it's not there, so we all know people born on February 29th. I have my little Hall of Fame of, of, of students who have been born on uh, February 29th. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, they're only, they're really 16, but they're only four. Right. They're 20, they're right. 20, they're only five, right? They all joke around. Right. So that, when you have, when someone's born the 30th of Cheshvan, uh, now 13 years ago was not, uh, had also only 29 days. Of Cheshvan. But if someone's born the 30th of Cheshvan, and their bar mitzvah only had 29 days, so then their bar mitzvah is on the first day of the month, right? Like, again, like if someone's born February 29th, their birthday technically, legally, would be March the 1st. Right. But, but what about the other way, which is what happens now? And that is, if someone was born four, uh, 13 years ago, a boy was born in 2004 on Aleph Teves. Right. Okay, so that's the first that is the sixth day of was the sixth day of Hanukkah. Right. Okay. So now, but it was only one day of Rosh Chodesh. Right. One day of Rosh Chodesh. This year, there are two days of Rosh Chodesh in six, Kislev. Six and at seven. At the end of Kislev, right. two days. Right. So the question in the Paiskim is, how do we view that day? On one hand, it's Aleph Teves, so his bar mitzvah should also be Aleph Teves, right? right? That would be the simple way to look at it. Right. However. On the other hand, he was born on the first day of Rishchaydish Teves. It was only one day. So maybe his bar mitzvah should be the first day of Rishchaydish Teves, right. which would be a day earlier than, in other words, Lamed Kislev. Correct. It's the difference of a day. So it's very interesting. The Bach, and the Mishabur Pasas like the Bach, says you actually say his bar mitzvah is on the first day of Rishchaydish. Wow. Which means this kid was born on, on Aleph Teves, the first day of Teves, his bar mitzvah is going to be on the 30th day of Kislev. Right. So pretty, pretty neat mishabura that actually he's born in one month, his bar mitzvah is in a previous month. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah very it. fascinating. Now, of course, El Yerabba argues, and the Piskei Tshuva says, maybe one should be Machmir. So right. if you're the Rav of Ashul, with that case, you want to know which day is he going to lane and get, get, his, uh, get his aliyah. Right. Uh, and now for the sermon. Go right ahead, Rabbi Heber. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, why why these two months? Why is it the beginning of Kislev and the end of Kislev are the only months that have uh, 29, 30? So the Pharisees, some say to do it early in the year, you know, take care take care of matters early. But I, I once saw an explanation that it's, it's you want to, you don't want to confuse people. Like if you would do it between Purim and Pesach, we know there's 30 days between Purim and Pesach. So you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, mess with those days. 
you do it during Svira, that would make Shavuos a different day. That right. would be very confusing. So they did it now. But the question I had for many, many years was, well, one second, it is confusing because if somebody has, the Mishabura says this, if somebody has yard site on the last day of Hanukkah, they should not say the yard site's the last day of Hanukkah because it could be the, the, the last day of Hanukkah could be base Teves right. or it could be Gimel Teves, the right. second or the third. So it's very confusing, bar mitzvahs and, and, and yard sites. It's very confusing with, this, with the middle of Hanukkah could be switch around. This bothered me for a long time until I, I, I once started following the answer. And that is that what, did the, what is the purpose of these, these 29, 30 days? Why do we do this? It helps, it fixes Rosh Hashanah. It makes the whole calendar fall into place. You see, next Rosh Hashanah has to fall out on a Monday. Right. And to make that happen, because the Mayla then, etc., to make that happen, we make Cheshvan 29 days, Kislev 30 days, and the rest is all smooth sailing all the way through El till Rosh Hashanah. So we really are, are as they say in Yiddish, telling Avak, we're establishing the calendar right now. Right. What did the Yavanim, as we enter Kislev, what did the, what did the Yavanim, the Greeks, the enemies who wanted to, to undermine the Jewish people and by the story of Hanukkah, they had three takanas, they had three gzeris. They said no Shabbos, no Mila, no circumcision, and no Rishchidosh. Now, what is so terrible about no Rishchidosh? It would knock out, you know, we live by Yom Tavim. It's yeah. such a part of, of our lives. And if we wouldn't have Rishchidosh, we would not know when to celebrate Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. It would be it would be catastrophic. So what do we do? When do we? So we tell the Yavanim like this: You try to undermine our whole calendar. You know when we're going to fix our calendar so that it's all smooth and perfect and everything in place at the beginning of Kislev and at the end of Kislev, the month that we celebrate Hanukkah and during Hanukkah is where we have the final. You know, we have 29 days this month, 30 days next month, and that puts the whole calendar in place. To say you try to undermine our holidays and our Yom Tovim, we're going to fix them right during this Yontif of Hanukkah. Phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Rabbi David Heber. Okay, quickly, and we we're drop behind schedules very quickly. We know it's a year five seven seven eight of uh, many three day Yontifs, including Shavuos, by the way. Right? Yes. So it's four. It's four three day Yontifs if you don't live in Israel. Um, correct. It's, it's fourth. Plenty of Erev Tavshilans. Right, we'll lots of Erev Tavshilans, correct. We had, and we'll have another one. No, um, no. The last no. days of Pesach in Israel also, which is not so common. Right, because because it'll be it'll be the eighth day of Pesach for us. It'll be Parsha Shmini for Israel. Then we'll be off one Parsha. Exactly, right, right, right. right um, exactly. And, I, and, I, and, I was, and I was jumping to say no Erev Tavshilans because I was thinking of Shavuos, but you're right, there is an Erev Tavshilans for Shabbos and uh you know, for the seventh and eighth day of Pesach, I didn't even think of that. We'll call this year really very average. It's very even kill. It's, 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 I guess for for the show, it's not as exciting as some of our, you know, the right. earliest year. And, <laughs> and then Thanksgiving is Hanukkah right. and all that. Even though it's pretty early year this year, but but it's not it's not the Pesach in May. You know, it's right. a super late, super early, or all these interesting. Uh, last year we had the eclipse. Uh, all these interesting things. This year is really average. Three hundred fifty-four days in the year is the average number of days for a, a regular year, right? There could be 353, 54, 55, right. it's 354. Hey, the year where Rosh Hashanah starts on a Thursday and Pesach is a Shabbos is the most common combination. There are 14 different types of years. And, and you know, where you, you know, if you look at the day of the week of Rosh Hashanah and the day of the week of Pesach, and that sort of establishes the whole calendar, there are 14 different combinations. This one is by far the most common, where you have Rosh Hashanah. You don't have have a percentage on that, do you? 
I actually do have a percentage. I will tell you, I, I, uh, this time, I'll be honest, I'm cheating here. I have my little, my little booklet yeah, here, which good. <laughs> gives the percentages here. And this year is known as a Hey Chav Zion. Hey Chav Zion means Rosh Hashanah is on Thursday. It's a Kisidra, it means 2930, Cheshvan Kislev, right. and Pesach is a Shabbos. 18% of the years wow. fall out like that. Which when you think no, about one, this, no wonder it feels that. like we always have three-day updates, yeah. <laughs> because we always do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's great. I'm so, I, I must tell the people from Nefesh Benefesh they got to use this statistic to their advantage. Uh, I, <laughs> I didn't realize the majority of the time we have a well, year like this. Is, those going for Shavuot. I know in Israel they miss Shavuot. Those people making Aliyah say they miss that two-day Shavuot. Now, this year they have it. A little a little bit backwards, but they have it. Although Shavuot is great this Sunday, year. Sunday, Monday. Well, those in seminary and yeshiva for Pesach, it's a good year for them because they, they that last day of Pesach, right. they're not walking through the shuk with everybody you know, eating bread, carrying right. their loaves of, of bread. Right. But I'll say, I'll, I'll say two things. First of all, on the, uh, on the you, you know... That the the consolation prize for the three three day untifs is two things. <laughs> Number one, you have an amazing cholamoid on Pesach, an amazing setup for cholamoid on Pesach, right? If you right. like, if you like to spend time with your family, it's a great week, right? Absolutely. And you have the greatest shvuas ever. Why? Because when you have to learn all night much of Shabbos, it's great to have a good rest on Shabbos. <laughs> oh, that's right. Very, very, very good. <laughs> so you have very a good. couple of really nice consolation prizes coming up in the spring and summer. <laughs> yeah, you betcha. You bet so right. there you go. Rabbi David Heber, a Kashrus administrator at the Star K. He is the rabbi of Kahal Avis Yisrael Tzemach Tzedek in Baltimore. But for us, most importantly, he is our Jewish calendaric trivia expert. We are about to play your father's Yehirotzon um, uh, from Birchas Achodesh from Benching Rosh Chodesh. Give us a few seconds. Tell us where your father was from and uh, a little bit about him. My father was born in Poland, and he was a chazan and a rebbe in St. Louis for many years. Uh, he was a chazan. He was a, 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 a Orthodox chazan in Tzfaris Yisrael and the congregation now known as Tik. And he was in Chassid Shalemis. Um, if those remember that story where they had the tombstones that were you know pushed over. That cemetery also had a shul where my father was the chazan. Wow. Not not near there. It was a, it was a few blocks away, but it was it was a very beautiful shul. And uh, he he made two records. Um, he was a very beloved chazan, a very beloved rebbe in the Epstein Hebrew Academy in St. Louis for 27 years, and a chazan. And uh, he made two records. This is from his first record that that he he, he made in the late 1950s. He was about it is late. He was in his late in his late twenties when he made this record, and uh, there's some very very nice pieces. And he was and I known, really appreciate. And he was known as Cantor Samuel Heber. Yes, correct. And people knew him as Chazan Heber, Chazan Shmuel Heber, Cantor Heber. Right. And uh, you know, this was Chazanus was was part of him, and he he used he taught his students. There's students all over the world. Maybe some of them listening that sing many Nagunim that he taught them. He was a sixth-grade rabbi. He taught them Trump, how to lane. One second. So, you, so, so the, the Rabbi Heber who spent all that time with us in Manhattan Day School was a what to your father? My uncle. That's, that's my father's younger brother, my uncle Usher. Got it. Uh, and, yes. and your father's uh, Yehiratzon is going to close out this segment. Rabbi Heber, uh, all, all, what can I say to you on a day like this? I got in Chodesh. What else? You too. I got Chodesh. <laughs> Shabbat to you and your listeners. Take care. Shabbat Shalom. Birkata Chodesh. Here it is. Kedr Samuel Heber at JM in the AM.
Chazen Shmuel Heber um, with the Hiratzon as uh, we get set for Shabbos Mavorchim here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 416 in New York. We're minutes away from the weekly update. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, will join us 
coming up here at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. on a Friday morning. Mordechai ben David and company with that uh, curry bone. Uh, before that, you heard the Leif Tahar Birchas HaChodesh as we get set for the Rosh Chodesh Kislev, which is tomorrow night and Sunday. A one-day Rosh Chodesh will, of course, bench Rosh Chodesh tomorrow. It is Erev Shabbos Parshas told us with candle lighting time at 416 in the New York area. Jerusalem, we've seen candle lighting times anywhere from 359 to 403. <laughs> And then, of course, one of the residents of Jerusalem gave me a speech early this morning how different parts of Jerusalem have different candlelighting times. Uh, next week is a, uh, first of all, a welcome to all the shluchim in for the shluchim conference and banquet that's Sunday night in New Jersey. Uh, so welcome, and you go back to your different uh, Chabad stations around the world. Let everybody know that we are accessible 24 hours a day here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thursday's Thanksgiving. We're here. Make sure to join us all through the week. And if you have time off, then that's certainly an opportunity to uh, check out what we have to offer uh, around the clock here <clears throat> on this uh, amazing media outlet. Uh, I want to thank our friends at OnlySimchas.com. Continue to utilize a whole bunch of our content for their wonderful news reports from around the Jewish world. Go to OnlySimchas.com, not only for the news of all these smachot that are going on, and thank God there are many out there, uh, but also about important news stories from around the world. And a big thank you to our friends at JewishWorldReview.com, JewishWorldReview.com. That's the place you go to to print out hundreds of articles. I'd say thousands, but it's a short Friday. Hundreds of articles uh, about Israel and the Jewish world for you to read over Shabbos and, of course, to uh, peruse all through the week. JewishWorldView.com. We continue to highly recommend it as they are recommending our uh, uh, audio platform to their readers as well. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. <clears throat> Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good morning. Nahum. I appreciate that very much. Thanks for joining us. So a couple of things, uh, a couple of plugs I'd like your help with, frankly. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. Uh, it is uh, one of the most um, fabulous exhibits I have seen um, uh, over the years, and I'm referring to the Museum of Jewish Heritage uh, the exhibit about the Eichmann capture and the Eichmann trial. It is on display at the Museum of Jewish Heritage downtown Manhattan for another few weeks. It is <laughs> Malcolm, and, I, and I, I'm sure you know a lot more about this episode than I do, but it is just unbelievable when you see up close and personal what the Israeli government, or more specifically their secret agencies, did in order to capture and then, of course, in order to try and then eventually execute Adolf Eichmann. Just amazing. The true story is an amazing one. I've spoken to some of the people who were, who were involved, wow. Peter Malkin being primary amongst them, um, and to, to the children of some of the others, the people involved in the trial, uh, the Eichmann trial. Uh, it, it's true that uh, at the time I was so fascinated by it, I saved all the clippings from yeah. the, you know, the daily reports about it, 
you know, it was the last major trial after the Shoah. There have been other trials, but none of the high-ranking, as high-ranking a Nazi, uh, although perhaps now we know that more survived than people thought. Right. There were all sorts of nefarious networks that involved major institutions, religious and otherwise political, yep. and helped them escape it. It's one of the points of the exhibit, by the way. And and that, that I think, is one of the reasons, you know, you, you ask, and, uh, you know, again, it, it may sound like a silly question, because why, in fact, you know, would, would the state of Israel not be interested in finding him and, uh, and trying him? But it, it was such, in addition to the justice and legal aspect to it, it was such an important episode for an entire generation, and maybe we would say generations, of Jews to to have this, you know, real and symbolic uh, activity or act of uh, of justice take place. So it was that it wasn't just that you know they were bringing him to justice. There were so many of them, as described in the in the exhibit, and and it was so rampant that it was it was I believe the way I saw it. Somewhat, if it's possible to say this, somewhat soothing or psychologically helpful that he was brought to justice, and it, it embodied for many of the survivors and others, you know, a sense of uh, of, of closure of coming together. Right. But the fact is that um, we didn't know then, and we probably still don't know now, uh, how far the network extended and how many were brought to the United States yeah. by uh, the CIA, help others, you know, to be confined to Russians. They brought yeah. Nazis, uh, rocket experts, others who, who would and should have faced um, more crimes challenges. Yeah, no question about it. All right, and the other plug I wanted you to help me with, uh, we had her on the air this week, Nitsana Darshan Leitner. Uh, the book is Harpoon. It is unbelievable. I mean, it is, it's everything you've told us. It's everything you've told us about the financial end of the of the terror organizations. And, you know, I, as a casual observer of all of this, uh, I said to her, and I've always thought, frankly, based on our conversations, that, that the volunteerism of terrorists is an important factor. It's like, you know, sort of balanced between the fact that you have a lot of people willing to give their lives and to operate in an arena like that, you know, at no cost, so to speak, or at no price. And at the same time, obviously, you need some type of financial infrastructure. But after reading her book, it, it, it's all about the money. It's that, you know, the, the more they can finance, the more they can kill people around the world. It's unbelievable. And, and, and even when I read and I asked her about this, that the 2014 Gaza war, we keep, or I kept thinking that it ended when Israel decided to finally remember the ground initiative and to sort of, you know, go in and take care, mm-hmm. take care of matters. But it the, the it was it was really the money and the, and the incinerating of the of you know one of their big bases of cash that ended up uh, you know silencing the enemy. Right, so, there was millions of dollars that was supposed to go to pay the terrorists right. that was incinerated. But uh, you're right that people don't understand that work, and that's why to this week's passage by the House Foreign Relations Committee of the Taylor Force Act to cut off the money, perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars to the PA. Palestinian Authority, if they continue to provide the subsidies, the grants, the money to to terrorists, and the more they kill, the more they get, and to their families, I think it's it's more than critical uh, that this pass the whole House and and uh, Senate and become the law, and hopefully other countries uh, will follow suit. There are some Europeans who are already cutting back and withholding money. Uh, when they, they named buildings for terrorists and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, that 
these steps are are essential. And once you understand, and I know this story, Harpoon, is is really remarkable, and I'm sure will make a great movie one day. But the the story behind it is is what's really important about where the money's coming from and and how is it allocated, how it's used. And if not for 9-11... The interest of the United States to assist in all of this, inclu- including, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, choking the, uh, uh, you know, off the money trail and things like that, would be almost non-existent. It was oh, it was only when the United States was directly attacked that they that their interest was peaked in terms of fighting terrorism. Right, and for you know, sixty years it was yeah. Israel's problem. Right. Terrorism, exactly. and now all of a sudden, and if the world had responded to to the challenge in Israel. Uh, that, that we might not face the networks that we face, and if they learned the lessons from it, which doesn't even appear apparent today when we see what's being allowed to happen in, in Syria and elsewhere, that uh, the whole world pays the price for it. Yeah. All right, since I'm on a roll, give me a chance for two more plugs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you weren't here last week, so I, you know there's so much I got to tell you. I got I got to catch up with you. <laughs> so, Doctor uh, Professor Alevi was here yesterday, and I said to him. You know, when this earthquake happened on the Iran-Iraq border, did it cross your mind that, you know, what a shame that Israel can't provide emergency services as they so often do in natural disasters? And I said to him, it's one of the first things I thought of. And he certainly, he also said it's one of the first things he thought of. And I bet you, you thought of it as well. Israel's here, ready to assist, you know, distraught people at anywhere around the world. And of course, their offer, you know, to the, uh, to Iran, uh, uh, you know, it goes uh, uh, without acknowledgement. So I just... Uh, you know, Israel's in a position now to help everywhere, and, and there are people who would rather their people suffer and die than have Israelis come in and try to help in the rescue effort. And, well, it was a- absolutely rejected in, in uh, right. totality, and the um, uh, we understand why, and I think that the prime minister uh, was serious because there are other instances where Israel did render assistance uh, in Muslim and other countries. Right. Uh, that were claiming that they weren't taking aid from Israel, and you could see the uh, Mug and David on the El Al planes flying right behind them as they were saying it on television. <laughs> and, you know, we pointed out some of these pictures. I mean, it was really it was one foreign minister who was uh, doing an interview, and he was standing, like, on a balcony, and literally behind it, you could see the Mug and David on the tail of an El Al plane that is sitting there unloading uh, goods that they were bringing. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And one last thing, you got to, you know, last night, uh, late last night, I'm in a conversation with somebody about uh, modern Jewish history. We talked about the Six-Day War, how everybody felt, and, you know, it's no secret that the whole Jewish world felt like this was, you know, obviously quite a significant event. And, uh, and it, you know, for those of us who believe in the eventuality of what's going to happen in this world, um, in terms of uh, the Jewish uh, world's leadership, you know, going forward, and I think most people know what I'm alluding to, uh, you know, it was such a significant event, et cetera. I, I think there's certain things going on right now that all of us have to stop and understand how significant these events are. When the prime minister of Israel declares publicly, and, and, and frankly, I was a little surprised that, that, that this was publicly, that, you know, it discusses the letters of, um, of support and praise that he's getting from the leader of China, and the leader of Russia, whom he calls a, a another friend, and the leader of Japan, and uh, and now you know uh, warming up the uh, relationship with India, 
it is just unbelievable that as you live through it, we sometimes don't realize how slowly but surely Israel is enjoying such an incredible leadership position in this world. And I'm not even talking about the economy and the reports we're getting about what the shekel's value is now. And, and, and I think as we live through it, all of us in every generation that's tuned in, as we live through it, we must recognize how significant this is. If you remember the Six-Day War and how we felt and the euphoria after that, thank God there wasn't a war now, but slowly but surely because of these warming ties, relationships, and diplomatic actions, it, it, it seems that we're in an extremely significant period of time. So I have spoken many times on the show about and and gave uh, in reports about these kind of developments. And I know that people don't see them as highly significant when you see individual accounts of, of the visits, and especially when President, uh, uh, Prime Minister Modi of India, the second largest Muslim country in the world, came to Israel. And this is a debunking of one of the two big myths one is that Israel will be isolated and therefore will never be able to survive because it will be alone, when in fact not only are all of these major con- countries dealing with Israel and respecting Israel as a peer, even though they still, like Russia, do things against Israel's interests, uh, but also the Arab countries, and that's what's really underpinning the, some of these stories is because of the reports of, of Saudi Arabia um, uh, being more open and articles appearing in, in the Saudi press and uh, accusations by Iran that's, that Saudi Arabia is directing Israel against Lebanon and that they're in cahoots and um, coming up with all sorts of uh, uh, fake reports about about associations. And there are real, uh, uh, there's real evidence of uh, some breakthroughs. We shouldn't um, over, we shouldn't exaggerate it. We shouldn't overestimate its significance because these things can change in a minute. Right. But the idea that Israel would be isolated has now been put to rest. And the second thing is about the demographic uh, imbalance will always grow against Israel. That if Israel doesn't make sacrifices, if Israel doesn't take certain actions, they will be overwhelmed. When in fact, now we know that the birth rate amongst Jews is the highest in the OECD and the Organization uh, for Economic Development Cooperation. And Mexico is the next at 2.2. Israel is 3.1. The United States, France, Britain, and others are under 2. 2.1 is replacement. And there is a, a remarkable phenomenon, and I have spoken about this for a while, because, and I just observed it uh, without any evidence of any study, but I kept hearing from people telling me, that, oh, we have three children, we have four children, and it always was two children when you spoke to Israelis. And now there, there is a quiet revolution amongst non-Haredi sectors, not even, even non-Orthodox sectors, that they are uh, having more children. And the, the, it's, I think, a statement of confidence in the future. I think it's a very important declaration on the part of Israelis going against the whole trend of of the more advanced societies, that they have um, uh, larger families, and the Arab families are going down. The Palestinian family birth rate going down. So, again, another myth yeah. that is being debunked because it's, it, the assertions and predictions are part of some uh, about what the demographic realities would be. It's not to say that, that uh, 
it should be ignored, and we have to continue to to look at the facts. But these are two of the major arguments that were used against governments of Israel, against policies that I think have been uh, put aside for now. Yeah, hop aboard the Israel train, otherwise it's going to leave the station without you. I'm telling you, the Prime Minister has been emphasizing this message, and all of us have to understand the significance of it. It is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world and the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Holmline is with us. He's Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. All right, Malcolm, it's no secret why at least half the people have tuned in this morning. They want to hear about this peace plan. Out of nowhere, it seems, you could tell us, in fact, if it was out of nowhere or if it was uh, uh, somewhat less of a surprise than we think. Uh, all of a sudden, the United States administration is very anxious, at least according to media reports, to uh, restart the peace process and to come up with a plan, with their own plan, come up with their own plan to implement in the Middle East. What could you tell us about this? Well, I don't know much because I don't know how much there is to be known. They, they, and what is being done is being held pretty close to the chest. Uh, there's clearly uh, an effort underway, and we're told that before the end of the year, perhaps even in a couple of weeks, that, that, that something will be put forward that would uh, help jumpstart talks. But they have said repeatedly that they will not impose a solution that they're not going to dictate one, and this is this is uh, not to be the outcome, but to be the basis for uh, discussions. And of course, the Palestinians already attacked it and saying it's too pro-Israel. Um, and it may well be that they will do a Arab first rather than Arab last uh, approach, meaning that the Arab states will start to recognize or get involved with Israel, make certain. Um, gestures towards Israel, not as a reward for the signing of the deal at the end, because that could may never come, but to start doing it at the beginning, for instance, overflight rights, which would be very important for Israel economically, if they could fly to the Far East over countries, would shave two hours flying time, make it more competitive, many other things that could be done that would be uh, um, significant for, for Israel. Second, the... Um, uh, the, the, the nature of the of the process is being based on negotiation discussions that they are having with uh, people in the region and outside, and we'll, we'll wait and see what what actually emerges from this. But I, I think that the fundamentals is is different than let's say under the Obama administration, which is not to come with a finished pr- uh, proposal to impose on the parties, but to give the parties some platform for. Negotiation. It's funny because the media is reporting it as if it's the former, that it is an, an arrangement that the American administration officials will, in fact, draw up and then, you know, impose. I don't know if they use the word impose, but certainly one that was similar to that, uh, impose on the different parties. Well, I don't think the people involved are, are uh, going to go along with that. I think that um, um, I have the faith in, in most of them that they will will. Uh, take the approach that I outlined. They, they have said so. Uh, there are others, of course, who who want to instigate against it from from both the left and the right. That um, negotiations might hurt, uh, might help Netanyahu politically and hurt their chances internally in the political situation in Israel, which, as you know, is in turmoil right now. Yeah. 
Uh, Israel faces many challenges. We have the Hezbollah in the north. Uh, there's a lot of talk about war in the north. I don't believe there will be one. Do you think but, this? Did you think this peace announcement uh, took the prime minister by surprise? The peace announcement of that, you know, this potential deal or whatever the U.S. official is going to be drawing up. You think it took? There the, is no potential deal yet, and uh, it's not a deal. I think it is a platform. Is the only term I can think of. The American administration goes public and says, we are drawing up a plan to bring to the Middle East. We are now going to solve the Middle East problem. That's essentially what they said this week. So did that did that announcement it work if they're going but to did that announcement But did that announcement t- um, take the Israeli administration by surprise? No, because they knew that, I mean, they've been involved in the discussion, so I don't think anybody's surprised by it. But again, I think we shouldn't interpret it incorrectly because they have said clearly that that, that their intent is not to, to impose something. Uh, and I don't even think, it, you know, it went as far as some of the frameworks, but we'll go as far as some of the frameworks. It is a, a, pl- a platform, and I think it, it puts down, some, it will put down some fundamental markers. Look, we may not like it all. We may um, neither side will, will, yeah, I, will ever I, likes I, it all in negotiations. I get that, but you know, you know where where I think uh, the disconnect is. I think that the you know the pro-Israel crowd or those who are suspicious of land for peace deals. Let's put it that way. Uh, I think we we felt that we finally had somebody in the White House who understood truly that Israel has no peace partner, that there's no one to negotiate with, and that that's where. Everything has to start from with the recognition that there's really no one on the other side that Israel can trust. And this announcement this week sort of you know, avoids that whole issue and, and gives the impression that there are now two parties that we can deal with and make an arrangement with. I, I did not read it that way, and I think uh, we have to wait and see. It's, it's, uh, people jump to conclusions and try and interpret what people say. I, I still believe that this should be done quietly and behind the scenes, working with the parties, working with Israel. It is clear that there is a lot of ongoing consultation with the prime minister, who is also the foreign minister and also minister of many other things. <laughs> um, and and the discussions are going on uh, with them. Uh, I have spoken to Israeli officials this week about it. They do not seem concerned. At least they, they have told me that they aren't concerned and they don't think it's moving that direction. We'll see what what will come out, and then we'll we'll uh, deal with it. But I, it it is not something that is just being dropped on them. There have been endless discussions, the visits, uh, ongoing visits. There's a delegation of the National Security Council in Israel now working on the uh, U.S. Russian agreement in Syria. There are others, uh, other uh, agreements. I mean, there are some things uh, that have been said that people might find disturbing. But the the truth is that we have not seen any outline anything else and we should not jump to conclusions before we know the facts where is lebanon's prime minister he is in saudi arabia why is that a vacation <laughs> he was called to Riyadh, correct <laughs> the beaches <laughs> he was he, called he, to Riyadh. he was called to Riyadh, and while in Riyadh, he resigned uh, hariri uh he is leaving and he's going to go to paris now uh, and for the resignation really to take hold, he has to go to Lebanon and deliver it. And I think he, he has said that he thought his life was threatened. There are people who question that. What the real motive was is enforced by the um, uh, Saudis. 
um, they feel he was getting too close to the Iranians. They, they, they are the Saudis have put a tremendous focus on Hezbollah and and in Lebanon, and seeing Iran taking over Lebanon is very disturbing to them as it is to Israel. And well, if another you... evidence of a common agenda emerging uh, between the, the Israel and Saudi Arabia, Israel and others. If Hezbollah was always the proxy and continues to be of Iran in Lebanon then the Lebanese government was a proxy of who? Of Saudi Arabia? Was was this a... Were they always aligned with Saudi Arabia? They were close. The Saudis gave them a lot of money. The Saudis supported them, the, uh, the regime. I think that they felt Hariri was and maybe perhaps not strong enough and, and uh, yielding to it. Uh, Hezbollah has clearly taken over. It is the dominant force in, in uh, uh, Lebanon today. Uh, we see that uh, Hezbollah's role in Syria as uh, at one of the, the fronts for Iran, a major front, they played a big role in the conflict, continue to play a role. Uh, they probably have six to 8,000 troops still in Syria, but they are, are also trying to reestablish and, and take advantage of the situation in Lebanon to extend their um, their hold. As you know they have more than 100,000 missiles. They have... In every third house in in uh, southern Lebanon is uh, filled with rockets and other material. Israelis can identify them by pointing them out to people who visit in in the Golan. And Iran today is recruiting in Syria Shiite um, uh, young people to to create a Hezbollah in Syria, and it's based yeah. in Dara, which is thirty kilometers from from Israel. There are. Um, uh, th- this militia battalion is, is being formed. It's in Israel, which is in the da- Dara governorate. People remember Dara, where a lot of fighting and other things took place. They call this unit the 313 Brigade because there's supposed to be 313 uh, people, company, soldiers accompanying the Mahdi, the, the Shiite Messiah, when he comes. There you go. And this is, uh, you know, they are expanding their activities, and because of the Permission granted by the West and by the by the Russians and everybody it's it's entrenching the Iranian role there, and they are looking now. and, and There was a very interesting interview that's very important that was done for the first time in a Saudi newspaper by the Israeli chief of staff, the head of the IDF, wow. Gabi Eisenkot, gave an extensive interview, and he spoke there about the common interests of Saudi Arabia and specifically in Lebanon. They talked about these different circumstances, but uh, he also noted, you know, I've often talked about the Shiite Crescent that King Abdullah spoke about, about what the goal was, is of Iran, which they are establishing, of having a continuous uh, Shiite territory from Iran through Iraq, through Syria, to Lebanon, which is one of the concerns that uh, Saudi Arabia has. But he also spoke of the second one, going from Bahrain to the Red Sea and through Yemen, and that this is part of the hegemonic drive of of Iran, and they, we see how they are establishing themselves using these militias in uh, in Syria. Uh, I don't understand why the Russians feel comfortable with this arrangement, although they supposedly agreed with the United States that they would keep them away directly from the Golan. But thirty kilometers is nothing, and and the fact that you have uh, these forces and they're always trying to encroach more and more. There is a Shiite revival going on in in Syria and elsewhere, and they've replaced Sunni populations. So the um, the, the defeat of ISIS has fueled this messianic, uh, almost the fervor, 
and that they feel that they can win everything, and they, they, the Iran is taking uh, advantage. They maybe have 200 or more already in this uh, unit, but they have tens of thousands of militia who came from Lebanon, Afghanistan, right. Iraqis, and others. So just and, going back for a second, the, the, the reason that Iran doesn't care that Saudi Arabia is making decisions vis-a-vis the Lebanese government is because their own proxy, Hezbollah, continues to expand and influence at such a rapid pace that essentially whatever Saudis are doing in Lebanon is irrelevant to them. No, they care very much, and they've attacked it all the time. They have uh, tried to work against the uh, Saudi involvement, and uh, you know the, the, you, you, there's a lot going on inside Lebanon that we don't know with Hezbollah. His activity, Hezbollah is Iran. It's the IRGC runs it, the, the Iran Revolutionary Guard. These are not independent uh, operatives. Their decisions are often made by um, by Iranian generals and others. Uh, certainly in Syria, it was in, in, in Lebanon, too. So they are very strongly protesting and opposing any Saudi interference or involvement. And the only reason, then, that there's no war between the two is because the Saudis wouldn't want to start up with Hezbollah, or they wouldn't want to back the effort of the Lebanese government against them? What would be the reason? Well, they don't have the troops, and with this, we don't see evidence that the Lebanese army is ready to do any of those things. Um, if anything, they're I just getting weaker. I don't anybody, by the way, right now wants a war, despite all the talk about the war in the north, and the, the fact is the IDF, and I spoke to top IDF people this week, and they are focused on the war in Iran as much. They also, of course, dealing with the Gaza situation, and they moved that Iron Dome there because they're, they're concerned about a retaliatory strike by Islamic Jihad for the uh, for Israel's successful closing of that tunnel, which in which maybe 15, 16, 17 terrorists were killed uh, from Islamic Jihad, and the, their controllers in Syria gave them a green light to to retaliate, but they're not because they don't want to take the blame for the destruction that will come because of it in inside Gaza. And Israel will respond quickly if they try to do if they continue the rocket attacks or try to cross the border, as they say they are. That they have other tunnels and they're working on it. And Israel is continuing to develop its counter tunnel strategy and putting the underground fence in and, right. and sensors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, 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 yeah. that, pardon me. Yeah, no, okay, go ahead. Yes. I'm, I didn't that, mean to interrupt. I just got to go up north for a second. Go ahead. Yeah, but but it's related. So Israel has two fronts. One is that they're looking at this, and right now they have not retaliated because of that, and because they, Hamas wants the uh, reconciliation deal to go through, so they get uh, the PA to take over responsibility. And you know, if there's a conflict, that thing is dead. Uh, okay. So and then in the north. You have Israel building up its forces and developing the whole region. They have tremendous intelligence. Right, but who did they, you but who did you blame earlier in this conversation for the Iranian forces uh, settling uh, too close to the Israeli border? Who's to blame for that? Who allowed it to happen? Well, I think that the Russia-U.S. agreement did not go far enough in protecting. So can Israel's we can we blame the, can we blame the United States for it for not having Israel's back on that? In the United States, as I said, the NSC is there now, representatives of the National Security Council, to talk about the deal, to talk about steps that they're taking. I don't think the U.S. abandoned Israel. I do think that the agreement... Uh, that's not us. I think Malcolm may have hit a button on his phone. <laughs> Are you there, Malcolm? <laughs> All right, we'll try to reconnect and continue the weekly update. Be patient, everybody, for a moment. J.M. and the A.M. on this Friday morning era of Shabbos as we continue.
See if we can reconnect with Mr. Honline. Friday morning, as we uh, get set to bench Rosh Chodesh on this Erev Shabbos. Rosh Chodesh Kislev will be tomorrow. Tomorrow night and uh, and Shabbos. All right, we'll try to reconnect and uh, continue with the last few minutes of the weekly update. Keep it right here at JM in the AM. And it looks like we have him back. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Malcolm, I would start to get suspicious. I don't know who's trying to interrupt our phone conversations. That's clearly sabotage. You can say that again. Um, When we got cut off, you were in the middle of the thought. I had asked you about what's happening up north. You had started to address the fact that uh, despite the closeness, the proximity of those Iranian bases in Syria, you still did not feel the United States had abandoned Israel on this on this matter. Well, abandoned is a strong word. I do think, as I said, that they did not do enough in the agreement and that uh, we see that Iran is consolidating its position all the time in uh, Syria and elsewhere, but particularly regarding Syria and the fact that you know, being 30 kilometers away is nothing, and that the real danger we face there is that, as I said, nobody really wants a war, an all-out war today. Iran, because they have too big an investment, Hezbollah doesn't want to take the brunt of this and knows that Israel will obliterate them this time, that the wow. 
the danger is an errant missile. And when you're so close and there's constant attempts, and we know that Hezbollah's goal is to try and infiltrate Israel, to plant the flag to show that they can um, penetrate so that you can have, again, an escalation of minor incidents or not all-out war, which uh, Israel will not accept. Uh, but that's why they have to be far away from the Jordanian and Israeli borders, why, you know, they don't want to see a permanent uh, presence of foreign troops, and particularly Iran, and unless the agreement and any final outcome uh, removes them. The problem is that they are now establishing all of these uh, militia groups, which will say, well, it's not us, these are Shiite militia groups, these are people who live there because they replaced the pop- Sunni population with Shiites, then uh, Iran will say, well, they can remain, even if there is an agreement to remove, quote, foreign troops, but that's not going to be acceptable to Israel. And finally, what did we learn this week for the most recent IAEA report? Very little, again, except that they are still not going into all the sites that they should. Uh, this is the eighth report of the IAEA, and the the um, uh, there is there are things in there that that are of concern. But uh, we see that Fordo, we see the the um, other facilities. They're talking about a new light water plant, which was not known before. And I spoke to to one of the uh, IEA former inspectors, and and spoke. He spoke very critically about that. Uh, so again, Iran is is taking advantage of of the uh, opportunity that the breakout time that they themselves say uh, they have. The fact that Fordo is still functioning, that other facilities. Uh, may, may be functioning uh, as well, and this is uh, this is why the deal is criticized so much. Why the feeling about the sunset clause? We see the French, by the way, are pressing very hard about the missile, the, the violations of the missile agreement, which they say violates UN Security Council Resolution 2231. And at the same time, Germany is signing more deals, wants to do more economically with them. So are others uh, signing deals. And the United States uh, has to rank, r- ratchet up the sanctions uh, all the time because uh, companies facing the choice of doing business with Iran or the United States have a very easy choice uh, if they want if they want to function in in, uh, in the future. But Britain is releasing 527 million dollars, which came out of a disputed arms deal in the 70s because they want to get the release of uh, somebody from the Reuters Foundation, uh, Ms. Radcliffe. Money goes to? Iran, the government of Iran. I mean, it's unbe- now that I've read that book, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's suicide. Giving that kind of money to them is suicide. Of course, it's $500 million more that goes in cash for, 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 uh, for terrorists. and and um, Half a billion uh, dollars. And also to note the German court... Uh, because of a case of lawfare project initiated here in, in Europe, ruled that Kuwait uh, Airlines was uh, had a legitimate stance in its refusal to accept an Israeli passenger. They said they weren't arguing on the merit of of what they did, but that the you know they would suffer inordinate consequences. There were uh, back in Kuwait if they took an Israeli passenger, that there would be economic or others they could go on trial. And so it was an inordinate punishment if they if they um, accepted him. Mm. And I mean, this is so outrageous, such a decision that a German court uh, could reach this kind of a conclusion uh, about a blatant discrimination. 
I mean, you you think about it in American terms and civil rights terms about, uh, you know, with uh, equal accommodation or uh, barring people from from public uh, uh, transportation of any kind. And so Kuwait Airlines is barred from the United States because of this and in other European countries, but the German court's ruling is is very disturbing, I find. Why should we expect otherwise? All right, Malcolm, uh, assuming uh, everyone's available, we uh, are planning at the moment to reconvene next Friday. With the turkey. With the turkey Thanksgiving weekend. Friday, any any changes will inform the audience. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays, 7.40 Eastern time here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Toldos. In Parshas Toldos, we have the continuation of the, literally, the lives of the Avos. And we focus in this week's parasha on the life of Yitzchak, his having both from the same wife, from the same mother, where ordinarily our identity as a Jew stems from the mother. Here, two boys, twins, from the same mother, one is Jewish and the other not. Built in to nature is nothing less as what the prophet tells Rivka that the tension and the pain that you are experiencing now in your pregnancy is a portend of the future, of the tension and pain that's going and conflict that's going to exist between these two nations. And ultimately, we're told the Rav Yavod Soir. <clears throat> the elder is going to serve the younger. In this parasha, Yaakov, because of the prophecy that his mother tells him, that she was told by prophecy that he, Yaakov, was to get the blessings and that he would not be discovered by his father, Yaakov complies with his mother's command and he gets the blessing. Not only the Birkas Avram, the blessing of the relationship that God had with Avram is now going to be continued through Yitzchak, but he also gets the blessing of Gashmius, the blessing of materialism, that he now has both. As long as 
what Yitzchak tells Esav at the very end of the parsha. But kasher torid, it's going to be that unfortunately, when Yaakov is going to not live up to his responsibilities, then unfortunately, ufarakta ulo, then God is giving Esav the go at the green light to then uh, be over Yaakov. So <coughs> the Bible story, which we know there are no Bible stories, it is a Bible lesson. The Bible lesson is teaching us that we have to live up to our responsibility, and that is the best way that we can protect ourselves from anti-Semitism. We find in this parsha, when there is a famine in the land, and Yitzchak wants to go down to Mitzrayim, as his father did when there was a famine in earlier that Avram experienced when he first came to Canaan, Hashem says to Yitzchak, no, you can't go. You are, the way our rabbis explain it, the Ola Tamima. Your being in last week placed on the altar at the Akedah gave Yitzchak a status of a korban, and this korban could not be taken out of the, quote, holy, which is the land of Israel. And therefore, Hashem says, stay in this land. And what does the Torah tell us? In chapter 26, in verse Yud Beis 12, the Torah says, V'Yisrael Yitzchak Pa'oretz Hahi, Yitzchak planted in that land, Vayimtza and he found Yakrud Bashanohahi in that year, and Rashi tells us the land was kosher, the land was not fertile, the year was kosher, because there was a famine, and still God blessed him Me'asha Arim, literally hundredfold. Just as there was this very special divine wink between God and Yitzchak. Similarly, I'd like to focus on a pasuk a little bit earlier, where Hashem says to Yitzchak, why am I going to bless you? Because your father, Ekev, the last pasuk in Rishon, because Shema Avraham Bikoli, your father listened to my voice, Vayishmor, and he kept Mishmarti, Mitzvosai, Chukosai, Misorosai. He observed my safeguards, not only the laws of the Torah, but even the rabbinic laws, such as Muktza, even that Avram kept. My commandments, those laws which are understandable. My decrees, my laws which are not understandable, 
like Shatnez, and finally, my Torahs, both the written and the oral Torah. The rabbis ask, where and how did Avraham learn Torah? Certainly didn't get it from his father. And the rabbis answer, Kloyos <coughs> Yoatzos, literally his kidneys, or literally he intuited Torah. And this is expounded upon by Reb David Azulai in his Sefer, Chomas Anach, in his commentary on Eo in chapter 38. And I'd like to try to understand what's happening here in terms of Avram Avinu and his amassing Torah. And I'd like to suggest the following, that Histakil Be'oraisa Ubora Alma. The rabbis teach us that God looked into the Torah as the blueprint and he created the world. The world is understood to mean the cosmos, but I'd also like to suggest that the world means man. God created man. And where do we find that man is known as a world? In the fourth chapter of Sanhedrin, in the fifth Mishnah, the Mishnah asks, how did we literally warn the witnesses not to give false testimony in a capital case? So they would say to the witnesses, the Bezdin, you should know that Nivra Adam Yechidi, Man was created as an individual, as one, unlike the animals, many animals, unlike the rest of nature, many trees. One man, Lulamedcha, Shekolama, Abed Nefesh Achas Israel. If God forbid you cause one Jew to die, Male Alava Kosov, Kilu Ibed Olam Mole, each one is an entire world. And the flip side, literally, if you maintain, sustain one soul in Israel, it's looked upon that each one is a world unto himself. Now, just as the world um, is created by Hashem, so to the individual, and the individual is takel b'oraisa, the individual God created by looking in the Torah. And the Gemara, the end of Makos, teaches us that there are 248 positive mitzvos corresponding to Evorah, the limbs of the body. There are 365 uh, Losase, negative commands, restrictions. Why? Corresponding to the uh, Shasa Gidov, to the 365 sinews of the body. And what does this mean? It means that each part of the body is connected to another mitzvah. The mitzvah of Shabbos 
explains the Chafetz Chaim in his introduction to the third volume of the Mishnah Brura, Hilchos Shabbos, the Mishnah Brura, the Chafetz Chaim writes that different parts of our body are more or less essential for man's life. Of course, the hand is important, but you can live without a hand. You can live without a foot. However, you can't live without a heart. And therefore, says the Chafetz Chaim, Shabbos is like the heart of the Jew. The Zohar says that the mitzvah of (coughs) Gid that we will read about in Parshas Peshalach, that Yaakov, after his wrestling encounter with the divine angel of Esav, this, uh, the guardian angel of Esav, this encounter is a portent for that which is going to be in the future, that even though the Jewish people are going to be persecuted, they will as Yaakov, unfortunately, be limping, but they're going to make it to the finish line. And so, on Tisha B'Av itself, we are comforted by the teaching of the Gid Hanosheh. I can't tell you which parts, other parts of our body, are necessarily connected to which mitzvos, but I can tell you something very, very important, and that is, while Avram Avinu had the ability to intuit literally the mitzvos, we have the opportunity, and we're privileged, that we, by our learning of Torah, are able to maintain, sustain, and give chiyus, give life to our neshama. There's an interesting halacha that says that lo sochlu al hadam, literally, you're not to eat in conjunction with the blood. A challenging verse, and one of the explanation to this uh, mitzvah is you shouldn't eat until you have first prayed. Why? So you can tell me, possibly out of respect, that you are to first take care of your spiritual needs and then take care of your physical needs. Yes, but I'm going to tell you the following, that just as your eating gives life to the body, literally proteins, carbohydrates, and all the other vitamins that we derive from our food, so too does Torah give life to our neshama. So our learning of Torah is not only because it happens to be the 419th mitzvah of the Torah, that we learn Torah because God commanded us to learn Torah. We don't only learn Torah because (coughs) Gadol Limud, great is the learning of Torah that brings us to act, but we learn Torah because it gives, it nourishes our soul. And therefore, before we nourish our body, 
the Torah is teaching us we have an obligation to nourish our souls. There are no Bible stories. There are Bible lessons. And this verse of telling us that Abram Avinu kept the Torah before it was given is a charge to all his descendants. We are so proud to be descendants of every Shmona Esrei, Elokeinu 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 the God of my grandfather Abraham. We are so proud to be his grandchildren. We have to learn the very important lesson from Avraham that our way to take care of the precious soul that Hashem has given us is through the learning of his Holy Torah. Ashrenu matov chelkenu. How privileged and fortunate we are that we have the Torah which nourishes our neshama, which gives us life. V'chaye olam notabesochenu both in this world and please God the next. Shabbat Shalom to all.
JM in the AM. Amram Adar is out with a brand new album, uh, Anod Milvado. That's one of the songs, Bowie Kala. Just remarkable. Uh, we've got a, a free CD. Who would like the uh, brand new Amram Adar CD? It's yours if you're emailer number 10. Emailer number 10 to win, W-I-N, win at NahumSiegel.com. Win, W-I-N, at NahumSiegel.com. Coming up at 9 o'clock, a supersized table for two with Naomi Nachman from Kosherfest. Uh, it wraps up with the uh, Abels and Hyman contest, the best-dressed kosher hot dog contest that I hosted starting at about 10.15 this morning. That'll go. Mark Zamek with the Erev Shabbos show presented by Kedem. Today we'll start at about 10.45. The Erev Shabbos music mix will continue until candlelighting, brought to you by our friends at Kedem. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami at 9 o'clock. Uh, Sunday, it's uh, 7 a.m. for JM Sunday with Matis. See everybody tomorrow night at the Yachad Malav Malka and Tinek. Mazel tov to Ari and Dina Katz. See everybody at the One Israel Fun Dinner this coming Sunday. My thanks to Scott Feltman and the board for letting me participate as the uh, MC again. Looking forward to the One Israel Fun Dinner. It's always a great event. Terrace in the Park this coming Sunday night. Get your reservations in if you haven't done so yet. Um, you could sponsor part or all of a JM in the AM broadcast. Go to fjbunity.org. If you want to keep us going, do something noble before Shabbos and give a generous contribution at fjbunity.org as we continue to be a listener-supported digital radio platform and in need of your support. Again, it's fjbunity.org, and we thank you very much for that. Our friends at Bedford-on-Park, they are open tomorrow night. They are open Thanksgiving night, and they want to host your year-end party. Bedford-on-Park, 61 East 34th Street, the northwest corner of Park and 34th in New York City. And again, they want to host your holiday party for your uh, for your friends, your colleagues, your clients, your customers, your staff. They can accommodate up to 150 people, a delicious menu prepared by Chef Alex. Uh, and they certainly have a small party room if you'd like to uh, have a uh, 20, 30 people get together for your Hanukkah celebration, Sheva Brachos, whatever the case may be. So check it out, Bedford on Park. Go to bedfordkitchen.com, bedfordkitchen.com uh, for all the information. Uh, and there were a couple of items from our community calendar I wanted to get to today. Give me a moment. I mentioned early in the show, may even have been during bonus JM before 6 o'clock, that I mentioned we have some amazing um, smachot going on here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. <laughs> I'm just looking at all the stuff I didn't get to with Malcolm this morning. Gosh. <laughs> I'll tell you. So much happening in this crazy world. <laughs> so much happening. <laughs> next week, next week, I guess I'll be doing some uh, even older news items with him on the air. Um, anyway, um, we mentioned the Malava Malka. That's happening tomorrow night with Yachad. Mazel Tov to Baruch Jungreis. Tomorrow at the Young Israel of Manhattan, he's got the big celebration. Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov to Ashi Hagler and to Shlomo and Suri Hagler. The bar mitzvah of their son Ashi is tomorrow at the Bialystoker Synagogue on the Lower East Side. And a very special Mazel Tov to my good friend Chaim Yaakov Friedman. His Ufruf is tomorrow. 
So it's Wahuva and Chaim Yaakov, the Chassan and Kala, and of course a special Mazel Tov to Rabbi Mrs. Mayor Friedman here on the Lower East Side. Um, we say Mazel Tov. We look forward to celebrating with them tomorrow as well. So a lot going on in terms of the Smachot here, Baruch Hashem. Talmud Torah of Flatbush tomorrow night has uh, Rabbi Dr. Mayor Soloveitchik, Justice Brandeis, and the Balfour Declaration, Zionism and American Judaism, tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Congregation Talmud Torah of Flatbush, 1305 Coney Island Avenue. Don't forget the uh, open house in Israel Fair up at Yeshiva University. That's happening at 9 o'clock for uh, undergraduate men, 9 o'clock this coming Sunday. Um... There we go. Uh, don't forget about that. Uh, where are we here? Uh, what else do we have to tell everybody about? The um, One Israel Fun dinner we told you. We'll be there uh, Sunday night. Bezrat Hashem. Go to uh, oneisraelfund.org slash dinner. oneisraelfund.org slash dinner. Oh, Hell Dinner is Sunday night. It is always amazing. It's happening at the New York Marriott Marquis. Go to the uh, Oh, Hell website, ohellfamily.org, for information on that. Uh, the Dr. Bertram J. and Ann Newman Adult Education Program of the Young Israel of Teaneck presents Judge Ruchi Fryer in, um, in conversation, her journey and her message this coming Sunday at the Young Israel of Teaneck starting at 8 p.m. on Perry Lane. In Teaneck, New Jersey. Trying to see what else we have here for everybody. All right, so that's some of the, uh, those are some of the things that are going on regarding um, different things this weekend. Some of them are listed on the community calendar section of um, NahumSiegel.com, so you can check that out as well. Well, we mentioned that Amram Adar is out with a... um, Oh, uh, congratulations to the uh, Yeshiva College, Yeshiva University Maccabees. 11-point victory Wednesday night over the College of Staten Island. Tomorrow night, they're at Baruch. Good luck, guys. They're off to a great start. Baruch Hashem. Uh, we mentioned Amram Adar. has got a brand-new CD. It's called Ain Od Milvado. This is a song called Jerusalem. Brand-new. JM in the AM. I'm <laughs> Shalom <laughs> 
פותחת קלוק לעד ירושלים. השקיעו שם בנערים שוכנת ללבד. הראש אולי רחוק, אבל הלב שוב לא אזכור דבר יותר, שלום בין חומותיי, פותח בלב שומע. בין אורות כבדים דומים, בין תפילות הנשים, אני נמלא געגועים, רק לך ירושלים. ירושלים של זר, של נחושת ושל אור, הלו לכל שירייך אני J.M. and the A.M. Amr Madar, brand new. Congratulations to listener Moshe. Picked up the brand new CD. Um, courtesy of Amram Adar, who's out with that brand new album entitled Einod Milvado. And uh, we thank him very much and wish him the best of luck on this uh, brand new effort. Friday morning broadcast in this era of Shabbos Parshas told those candlelighting at 416 here in New York. Tomorrow night is Rosh Chodesh. It's a one-day Sunday Rosh Chodesh, so we'll read Machar Chodesh tomorrow. Thanksgiving is Thursday. We'll be here. Make sure to be tuned in all week long. If you have some time off this coming week, take us along with you. Now it's really, really easy. <laughs> Just have us with you in your phone. Simple as that. And trust me, you'll be glad you did. That I could tell you. Um, one more from Amram Adar, the brand new album, Anod Milvado at JM in the AM. Thank <laughs> you. 
Amram Adar, brand new. At JM in the AM. Time to take a Shabbos on this era of Shabbos Mavarachim at JM in the AM. Here's Journeys.
brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com on the NachumSegal Network and of course on the beloved NSN app. And there you have it and what a week it has been. Pretty amazing and I thank all of you for tuning in and making it happen. Naomi Nachman's supersized edition of Table for Two from Kosher Fest is next, uh, followed by the Abel's and Hyman Best Dressed Kosher Hot Dog Contest that we did on Tuesday, followed by Mark Zomik's Erev Shabbos Show, presented by our friends at Kedem, followed by the Erev Shabbos Music Mix, presented by our friends at Kedem. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami. Matis Sunday morning, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time with JM Sunday. We are simply jam-packed. Have a fabulous Shabbos, a wonderful weekend. See you tomorrow night. At New Jersey Yachad, see you Sunday night at the One Israel Fund event. Until Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.